All right, guys, welcome back to Property Profits Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bryce Kaminsky, filling in for Dave Dubow. And today on the show, I've got an interesting guest. You know, a lot of people will stay home or go into like dorms and things like that. But his mother pushed him to monetize the housing that he was about to have to have. So starting with a student rental, we're going to get into the story. Um, Ping... How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I, I'm uh, interested in the story. Like, you know, a lot of people have to make that decision. Like, where am I going to stay during university? And a lot of times it's like uh, in the basement of the house or it's in um, student rentals. But I think the people who who really start monetizing are the people who understand that I can do both. So tell me about how you got into doing both, owning it living in it, managing it, and ultimately, do you still own that thing? Yeah, yeah, I still do. So here's the thing that my, I, I, I'm actually in a very fortunate uh, position where I have been, right? My parents were already doing real estate stock investment back in Taiwan as I was growing up. So landlording to me was uh, something that I saw regularly growing up. So by the time I got accepted to McMaster University, my mom actually sent me down and she wrote 20 on my notebook at the time. I'm just like, why is that, right? And my mom was like, you know what, uh, as you're finishing or completing your engineering degree, another thing that I really want you to do on the side is try to figure out a way to get 20 tenants under your portfolio paying you rent. And I'm just like, what does that mean? It's just like figure out how to acquire asset, live in there, fix it up, right? All that stuff, right? Just, just so that you can continue to build your portfolio. And she's like, I want to take this opportunity to actually teach you or coach you through how real estate investing actually works. Because it's really served them uh, pretty well back in Taiwan. And that's how we were able to have the option to immigrate to Canada. So I'm like, you know, being a, being an Asian kid, you, you don't got a lot of things to push back, right? You're like, okay, fine. Like, I'll, I'll do whatever you said. Mm -hmm. So we we were looking around houses and then uh, and we our criteria at that time was like 10 minute walk from the campus. Because number one, I'm going to be living in there. I'm going to be managing some uh, some projects. I'm going to be looking for looking after the houses and, and all that stuff. So we we were looking around, and the very first deal was an off market deal. Okay, we got it. Uh, I still remember two hundred seventy two thousand. Uh, they supported me with the down payments, and we're being creative with the financing. Acquired mm -hmm. the very first one, four bedroom, added another two bedroom plus the kitchen downstairs, and essentially. Having uh, the five rooms pays out all the mortgage and all that stuff. And the last one was pretty much just pure profit. And the next year we did did it uh, the same way, exactly the same way. Find, find a property with four bedroom, within 10 minute walk within the campus. And we add additional three rooms for uh, for the, our next one. The one after is eight bedroom and the one after was, uh, was seven bedroom. So by the time I graduated, I had 27 rooms. Wow. And so these are all like within the campus area? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, student rental is an interesting thing. I mean, it's a definitely a type of a renter class. What are some um, benefits and maybe some like not so ideal things about owning student rentals? It's a lot of work, right? Because uh, you, yeah. you got so many people, so many voices, right? And sometimes when there's a conflict, you're not just dealing with one voice like that. You're not just dealing with the tenants themselves. You might also be dealing with the tenants' parents. So mm -hmm. imagine if you're dealing with six people, their parents are all kind of involved a little bit. Not Here all we got 12. Yeah. Now we got six and 12 for 18. 
exactly exactly so so there's a problem with that but so that's why a lot of people actually don't like or enjoy managing student rentals uh back then right but right now a good thing about student rentals is that every one two or in some case the worst case scenario is four years right you get that uh, tenancy turnover which means that you the landlords are usually um uh, that would be the opportunity to really boost up the rent to the market price. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it could be like semester to semester, like, oh, I'm dropping out, oh, moving out. Exactly. Um, you know, tons of turnover. And that's one of the things that as far as student rentals go that I was like, uh, or rooming houses, you know, these other things that that are like high turnover. Um, yeah. Is there like a qualification procedure that maybe you could let us in on that, helps you manage student rentals because probably not a whole lot of cash flow for them uh, probably a part-time job like they're not ideal tenants so right. how do you what makes an ideal student tenant so students as long as they're enrolled in university mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty secure because you know that there's an OSAP right that's coming into their account so they do have a bit of financial resource uh, or financial support that can actually pay for the rent. And on top of that, we always make sure that the parents are the guarantor of the students. Yeah, so the and rent's the, getting paid either way. Yeah. Exactly, because here's the thing, right? Like the, I think it's one thing that w- the tenant defaults on the rent is another thing that their kid defaults on the rent because the parents always want to make sure that by the time they graduate, bright future, you don't want that to be to be, to be be a thing that you still need to uh, kind of carry on um, mm-hmm. like be, because of the mistakes that you make, right? So. The moment that there's a guarantor, we feel a lot more comfortable. And is that uh, most of the situations or some of the situations? Like, is it uh, every student rental as a guarantor? Yeah. So everybody that that comes in, even if they're coming as a group, right? Every individual tenants needs to have a guarantor. Um, and that's not their siblings. It has to be their uh, guardians or their parents. And are you screening them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You still, so you, still run, you you would run them through the machine. Like, uh, what's their job? What's their income? How long? Yeah, been there? Credit yeah, but it wouldn't be as a uh, detail, right? Because as long as they, we know that they're they have the full time job, right? They care, and usually sometimes they're doing the showing, we get to actually see um the, their personalities and and how they how they conduct themselves, right? So as long as they're they're proper, like we usually mm-hmm. have a pretty good uh uh work. We usually have a, a quite a bit of confidence in in the in the applicant. So, so you still have those twenty seven, um, I guess you'd call them units, but they're more like bedrooms or. Yeah, I I call them because uh, in our in our property management system, so everybody has its own room, right? So we do have over eight hundred tenants uh, that we're dealing with. Some people mm-hmm. classify them slightly differently uh, for sewer rentals, but. But yeah, there's a couple of properties that we actually all four properties we have a two separate uh uh units in the basement, right? So four properties you can classify that as a a a uh yeah a units or twenty seven rooms. But yeah, those ones are where the students that I acquired before twenty sixteen. And then you graduated. Did you keep acquiring those, or did you move into something a little bit different? Yeah. So I. Sorry, like when I was back in school or? After? Yeah, like after you graduated, did you keep doing the student rental thing or did you kind of shift gears with your real estate or or just like say, I made it, I pause, I'm pausing for a while. Like what, what was your strategy when you graduated? Yeah, yeah. so funny story, uh, 27 rooms, 27 tenants paying, paying me rent. You think that is pretty good. There's enough cash flow. 
I remember when I was doing the calculation, there was only like about 15, 1600 uh, per month uh, after all the, all the expenses, right? Because remember, every time that we do a refi, that's a loan that we take out. There's interest on, mm-hmm. on those loans, right? So, so even though the volume seems pretty good, but the actual cash flow isn't that great. And also, we don't, I was so scared to spend that 15, 1600 per month simply because anything goes off. Right, that's a huge expense that we we need to pay back into the property. So, I that's that's the the moment where the pivotal moment for me to realize that in order for me to be in real estate full time, investment is one thing, running a business is a, is another thing. And at that time, I had an engineering job, so there's an opportunity cost that I need to kind of calculate. Um, yeah, like the just based on the investment, I wasn't able to actually sustain my lifestyle. From there, mm-hmm. so right there, I had to make a pivot. Uh, I decided to actually partner up with uh, my current business partner, uh, Andrew. Um, so at the time, he's he he's got a multifamily portfolio, and he's running a construction company with his family. We met. We're like, hey, why don't we do something together, right? Um, and again, he's also got an opportunity cost that he had to calculate. In. So we're like, okay, immediate thing that we need to solve is a cash flow for our salary on our own, right? So what can we do? We started flipping properties. We started acquiring some properties, and then, uh, and then uh, right there, I think there was another pivotal moment that we came across, which was a deal, eighteen rooms with a, a big commercial space. The lot was extremely big. You can actually build like a townhouse in there, and the property value, like we were able to negotiate them pretty well. But then we didn't have an investor. We only locked in one investor who committed to us, who ended up backing out by the time we we start drafting the uh, APS. And that's when we when that's when we we realized that in order for us to continue to grow uh, as a full time real estate investor, number one, we need to solve the money issue. Number two, we need to figure out a way to expand our contacts as as quickly as possible. And number three, whatever we do, we cannot be tied into uh, property management for our own properties because dealing with a the a daily operation can be can be pretty difficult. So. Combine these three reasons together, we're like, why don't we just figure out a way to set up a system, hiring the right people to run a property management company for not just our own properties, but also for other people's properties so that we get to connect with the local landlords, aka investors um, uh, that we can maybe collaborate in the future. So that's kind of how our journey started pivoting into um, the property management business, right? The real estate business side where we can actually monetize in the industry as we're investing. Yeah, because that that's a big thing, you know. Uh, Andrew was on the show, and we were talking about just the you know the rent board and and how it's going out there, and yeah, people people do need property management. You know, self managing is usually an expensive thing. While it is free, it's a time and mistakes, and ultimately, you know, I, I've known investors who have self managed their way into losing ten thousand dollars. And then immediately put a property management on it. And the property management has these problem tenants out quick as well. And they know how to navigate the system. It's they take the phone calls. So it's really a time or money thing. And if you're, if you have more than one property, two properties, unless you're really like dying to be a landlord, like property manage it. So when did you get in, when did you get into flipping and how did that come about? So flipping started right after I started working with Andrew because uh, I was we were thinking about how to leverage his uh, his uh, skill sets right his his a uh, resource um f- uh, for the trades and stuff right so we did that right away 
uh, but we didn't actually do that in volume until late 2018. Late 2018 uh, at that time. So it's all, um, it's, the business is very sequential, right? As we're building property management, the next thing that we realized is actually that a lot of landlords, a lot of, uh, a lot of our clients are still transacting, buying, selling, restructuring their portfolio. And I noticed that the number of clients that we had versus the number of transactions that they were doing mm-hmm. really um, every other year, right? On average, right? Every investor, people sometimes do long-term, short-term, but on average, one investor would pull a trigger every other year. So that's why I'm like, okay, we're leaving a lot of money on the table because at that time, I think we have like 40 clients divided by two, that's 20 clients, 20 deals. Mm-hmm. Right? So 20 deals times let's say conservatively 10K, that's 200K that we're leaving on the table uh, every single year. So right away, we incorporate the sales business uh, into our, our business, right? But after that, um, when we start acquiring properties, we realize that the market in 2017, 2018, whatever properties that we're getting, the cash flow is just not big enough, right? Yeah. Back then, we're aiming for, you know, 1% rule, right? At that time, it was already, 1% rule is impossible to uh, Yeah, to in Ontario, it walked off in a lot of places in like 2016. Exactly, right? And then from there, we're like, hey, instead of uh, instead of making two, three, uh, $400 per month, is there any way that we can 10X that? And the quickest way is to figure out how to exit from an asset um, that we acquired maybe six months, uh, 12 months from there. So we started trying out raising capital to fund our flipping business, right? We tried that out with our own capital for the first couple of projects. We're like, hey, we're able to actually turn that into 20,000 profit. If we just stack them every single month, that's 20K cash flow coming into our business every single month, right? Mm-hmm. Also, keep in mind, the reason why we thought about that was because I, at that time, I already acquired my license, a real estate license. So whenever I need to sell, I also build in that service fee uh, in our investment where I'm the listing agent, I need to get a cut. Right, mm-hmm. or that that uh, um, that I'm supposed to do as a, a listing agent, right? So I literally could raise capital using the property management uh, clients, bring that into a project where I, we take an active share, and then after we exit the project, we also get that two to two point five percent of a listing commission, and right there is just a really good synergy for every single business that we're running. Okay, so. Um, you know, the pandemic came through COVID 2020 and, um, where was the pivot there for you guys? Cause flipping, it, it was okay, but it was challenging. Like, uh, the labor shortage, not because there wasn't people, but because they just weren't going to work, especially the, the trades and the guys that they were hiring. Um, you know, Serb was a better deal to stay at home and make <laughs> two grand than to come and do shingles. So yeah. Uh, how did you navigate that? And and what are you guys doing these days? Yeah, so here's the thing. Uh, back, so in 2020, um, we, we noticed that there was a huge uncertainty, including ourselves, right? Uh, I think at that time, the sales also kind of froze for, for a few months. The mm-hmm. one thing that was doing performing very well was actually property management at the time. Um, yeah. But then uh, what I'm trying to say is that the because there's a lot of uncertainty to the market, we also want to kind of just sit and watch, right? And one thing that we noticed is that a lot of attention are being shifted away from the commercial space, retail, mixed use uh, type of building. So we're kind of looking around and more and more people are kind of having that kind of fearful comment on, hey, uh, commercial retail, like restaurants, they're all going to be out of business. 
commercial real estate is done forever, right? And then I really, I, I thought about that a lot. I'm just like, you know what, right now price, literally one building went from 1.8 down to 1.7, 1.5, uh, 1.4, and then yeah. 1.3 at that time. I'm just like, I don't think I can ever acquire a, a building like that for 1.3. And then we're just kind of testing things out. I submitted an offer for 1.1. And they came back, they, it fell through, but then two months later, they came back, 1.15 will make the deal work. I'm like, okay, great, let's do it, right? So we, and, and that ended up becoming our office building, by the way. So that was just one of the example. Uh, and then from that 1.15 back to 1.98 evaluation, this was only 10 months, right? We just went in, uh, renovated our office building um, and replaced a few, few tenants in there. Uh, who are not paying rent at the time. So yeah, 1.8, um, uh, sorry, 1.98 evaluation came back 10 months after. In between, we also acquired three other buildings. So it's like 2020, I, I, the reason why we made that decision was because we noticed that the attention is not in that space, which means the demand really dropped. And mm -hmm. we have the same amount of supply without a lot of demands. This just drives the price down as much as possible. So um, one thing that I also learned from my, again, my parents being my, my best mentor is that they always say, just, um, just focus on like, always pay attention to when, uh, what, I guess, uh, always pay attention to the area that nobody's paying too much attention to, because that's where the opportunities are. Right. So mm -hmm. you want to always kind of do the opposite of what everybody's doing, because by the time everybody's looking or paying attention to that specific asset class, you're already yeah. It's like five years ago, there was, well, there's always been like a multifamily push, yeah. but you know, the, the, the business of multifamily education and syndication and ultimately acquisition, that was kind of something, you know, like, let's say five years ago, it was kind of something that people didn't really even talk about. Um, was mostly done off of, off MLS in back rooms with commercial agents. And there was only a a dozen or you know a hundred in the whole city and now you can't go on facebook or instagram or whatever without getting hit with ads about you know watch look at this apartment i acquired and you yeah. can do it too and stuff like that and so yeah i mean that's probably too late to the party in some respects but i like what you're saying is like you know pay attention to what people aren't necessarily paying attention to and there could be opportunity in there. So you've done, you've done a bunch of stuff, um, you know, a bunch of creative kind of creative deals and keeping your eye on the market. Um, you'd mentioned before the call that you guys are doing some uh, education and ongoing resources for, is this Canadian or uh, American um, education? How does that fit in and how does that work? Yeah, so deal sourcing and capital raising are what we're essentially teaching on Tuesdays and Thursdays completely for free. Anybody can join in. We have a, quite a bit of U.S. clients, uh, students who just want to kind of get an idea of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, social media, there's really no boundary. And we have uh, tons of people from BC, Alberta, uh, also join in to, to kind of listen in. Right? Because the, the truth is that once you can, once you know how to find the right deal and yeah. create a de deal flow to you, it doesn't really matter where it is. Right. And yeah. it doesn't really matter what asset class. You just kind of need to uh sort of understand the logistic of building that that, that pipeline for yourself. And mm -hmm. same thing with raising capital. I always tell people that my uh back in 2015, when I, when I first raised my my very first flip, 
uh, outside of family resource uh, was an accident, right? I literally just pitched, I, I, I called up, I, I actually asked for help from my parents' uh, friend. And I said, hey, I want to do a pitch for other investors. Can you guys come uh, take a look and maybe listen to what, uh, what I had to say and maybe give me some advices, right? I was mm -hmm. able to just present it comfortably in front of my uh, my my family's uh, um, my family friends, and what I did is I hey what do you think about that? They had a lot of questions, and I was able to handle those type of concerning objections. And mm -hmm. then right there, they were like, you know what? We'd be interested in investing in in this project if uh, if you can do exactly what you just said. And that was an accident. And it doesn't matter if you're Canadian, uh, American. It doesn't matter if you're Chinese, right? Like Asian, uh, uh like for example, like uh, where I where I grew up, right? Mm -hmm. They are all the same, right? Technique is all the same. You just yeah, need it's to the human the human nature business, right? Yeah, yeah. You're 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 in people's business all the time, right? Even deal sourcing is all about connecting the right way and finding the the how desperate they are in terms of how uh in terms of their uh, the, the sell of their project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. so yeah, I I highly encourage everybody to kind of join in um the, the group calls because honestly, sometimes we're doing some live deal analysis where people bring the deal and then I just run through the calculator. We're using a Google map. Um, there was one deal that was in um, in uh, California, right? Not the best place to invest, but she was there and then we're just kind of running through the numbers and then we're able to give out pretty decent advice uh, at the end of that call. Awesome. So um, how do people find that? Let's start with that. And then we'll talk. And then I want to ask you a few more questions, but how do people find that? Sure. Uh, just, you know what? Come check out my my Instagram. Connect with me on my Instagram. It's a ping underscore real estate. Uh, I have a one post pinged uh, for people to sign up. And every time that we're running a session, I usually take a picture, uh, just upload it my on my story. So you know, just a link where you clicking takes you right to the the Zoom Zoom call that we're in. Awesome. So people, you know, such as yourselves who've been in in the business for a while. Where do you see things going over the next, say, three to five years? Okay, so that's a great question. It, and I want to kind of reframe that question a little bit. It really depends on where you are, but I'm going to be very careful with the answer that I'm providing. If you are in a position where you you're not you haven't had the portfolio yet, and you're sort of still kind of working in your full time job and looking for a secondary option. Mm -hmm. this is a time for you to be active right the passive investing site that was uh that, that worked very well probably 10 years five to ten years ago right where you yeah. can just buy something acquire something and there's a cash flow into this market real estate market has gone up quite a bit so you want to be active you want to maybe even do a bit of a, a real estate business right as a service provider to other investors right finding the right deal wholesale that back to the house flipper wholesale that back to rental own specialist wholesale that back to maybe infield developer, right? Mm -hmm. You make some money, right? That's the one way to do it. How we started and really try to scale up that kind of relationship and network was through property management. You could also do that. You could become a mortgage agent, right? Realtor, right? Mm -hmm. And use that as a way to generate some income and then and also build up your network. Okay, so- yeah, Be close to real estate, yeah. Exactly. People who are starting out, that, that would be my, my biggest advice, right? Learn the industry while getting paid. Right before you think about investment, because your problem is not the investment problem, your problem is the income problem, right? So make sure we we all identify that. Now, people who are trying to scale up, I do believe that you need to be a little bit more creative. Um, so let's say if you have three to four properties and you're looking to scale up, 
in the next three to five years, pay a lot of attention to multifamily because I'm not saying that to get in, right? You can get in, but you can also turn that into another active business by finding the right off-market uh, apartment buildings and sell that back to a group who's heavily promoting multifamily. It's kind of like what we're doing right now, right? We're mm -hmm. still monetizing. If we find a deal that we can acquire, we will acquire it. But if the number seems a little too high or it's not in the most ideal location, but we got that VTB term where it's very favorable uh, to a lot of uh, regular investors, we wholesale, we package that deal and wholesale it over to, uh, to other people. So that's where things get a little tricky uh, in this stage because you can monetize it uh, to increase your income level or you can try to expand your portfolio raising capital and play a long-term game. Where we are right now is we're adding, we're continuing to add the active income because market is uncertain. We want to always have that nice uh, uh, cash reserve in our business. That's mm -hmm. that's one that we always want to uh, want to have. So that's what, what we're still building up. The next thing that we're doing since we're in Canadian market for so long and after going through multiple different um, landlord-tenant board uh, issue in Ontario, it it made us uh, change our investing belief. We want to start allocating more resource in the States because population size is bigger, affordability mm -hmm. is still there. And uh, you know what? You can actually get very creative with sub two co-living, um, Airbnb, like in mm -hmm. many different places in the States, right? And the risk is still very, very minimal. So that would be my recommendation if, uh, if it's for anybody who's kind of like doing what we're doing uh, in this space. Awesome. So we got the uh, the Instagram handle, so we don't have to double back on that. But um, I like to throw this one out there. What's the biggest myth that uh, you you had going into real estate, even right at the beginning? Like, what was what did you think was real, but turned out to be not real at all? There's many things. First of all, passive is never passive, right? You think it's okay, passive, yeah. Right, but it's actually not. If you think about it, it takes out a lot of your mental stress. And second things, especially in Ontario, is not passive. The mm -hmm. moment that you deal with tenants, that can be can be ten months uh, timeline, right? And so, uh, passive is not passive is number one thing. Number two, which is something that I learned sort of uh, around twenty fifteen, some people heavily promoted on one strategy, bird method. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even bird anything between twenty ten all the way to twenty fifteen because the market appreciation was so small. Right. Yeah. So you had to kind of be a little creative. Uh, that's why rent to own was a very popular strategy. House mm -hmm. flipping has always been a fundamental that you need to learn, but I never trust that bird strategy is the only way, mm -hmm. right? Because the moment that you get your capital out, right, that's not the asset of your capital, right? You're taking out a loan. You need mm -hmm. to put that back into an as, uh, income producing asset. So don't ever believe in when anybody, when, when anyone tells you, hey, just do bird. Right, you mm -hmm. can't just do You have to have two to three strategy to hedge against the market fluctuation. Um, and number three is business investment versus business. Uh, sorry, real estate investment versus real estate business are two different things. One will increase that active income. Oftentimes, people confuse between the passive income to be their active income when they say mm -hmm. they want to retire or have a different option. You can't just do that with real estate investment. You have to be operating the business. So awesome. Awesome. Well, you know that they say time flies when you're having fun. I really appreciate, you know, you coming on the show and, you know, showing a different side of real estate to a lot of people that maybe just think of one or two strategies. It seems like you've climbed them all. So if, uh, if you want to join him on his, uh, his calls, as he said, you can find him out, uh, out there and 
yeah, guys, stay tuned and we'll uh, see you guys on the next episode. Awesome. Thank you.